Hello and welcome back to the Middling Along podcast. My guest today is Claire Bourne. Claire is a specialist pelvic health physiotherapist and author based in London with a passion for supporting women and men throughout their lives. She believes in talking openly about taboo topics and ensuring everyone feels comfortable to get support for problems that may feel embarrassing to talk about. She worked extensively in the NHS before starting up her own private practice. She's the co-founder of the Pelvic Health Practice, a specialist team of pelvic health physios providing home visits across London and the founder of All About Mum, providing postnatal education cards, webinars and ebooks to support women with the information they deserve. She's also the author, most recently, of Strong Foundations, Why Pelvic Health Matters, an empowering guide to your body, which aims to support women to understand their bodies better. Welcome to the podcast, Claire. Thank you. What an introduction. It used to just be Claire, mum of two, and now it's... It's quite the tongue twister. (laughs) Pelvic health physiotherapist is the hardest thing to say. And also just pelvic health without being too PPP about it. Like when I did the audio, but they kept being like, Claire, you can't say like pelvic health and pelvic floor. I was like, oh yeah, I need to like calm my peas a bit. So rein it in. (laughs) Well, congratulations, first of all, on the book, as we were saying off air, your your third baby. baby. Yeah, that's no mean feat, writing a book and juggling that with everything else. So yeah, yay, hats off to you. But it is is a really, really necessary topic. I think it's, I mean, I think, is it in France where women get pelvic health physio as standard? And over here, it's like, yeah, off you go. (laughs) We'll leave you to it. Good luck. Without (laughs) any understanding of what's even happened to your body. Like, it's not even like we're like, oh, you know, uh, maybe do this or maybe do that because this has happened it's just nothing it's just like good luck see you later yeah keep your baby weed. alive okay great <laughs> yeah and I think we've all got this sort of you know nagging sense that we should be doing some yeah. kegels or some kegels or however you pronounce yeah. it or something and you know some of us even go so far as to download an app to remind us and then, and then ignore, ignore it, it. yeah because it's annoying yeah <laughs> So I'm hoping, I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting some some great tips from you throughout this interview. But yeah, tell us a bit more about, about the book and why you decided to write yeah. it. And, and obviously for our audience, I think it's, it's sort of the latter part that, that will be most interesting. Yeah. But, I, you know, I would like to hear all yeah. about it. I mean, the vision really came from that, I guess, my experience in clinic with women. So predominantly a lot of what I do is around pelvic floor rehabilitation exercises and stuff like that which is is really really important as you say everyone's sort of heard of kegels everyone's sort of heard of like oh yeah get that squeezy app and sort of heard about it in pregnancy and postpartum didn't do too much and thought well just carry on Mm. as normal um but a lot of the time the journey I do with women in clinic is much more than that so even though say a woman presents in her 30s 40s after having children or maybe her 50s 60s navigating menopause we Mm. always talk about earlier life and we always go back because I think what what I what I always find so hard for women is that all the blame gets either put on the fact you've had a baby or the fact that you're going through menopause and your hormones are changing. But actually, often when we look at pelvic health, it's so much more than those two conversations. The, the idea behind the book was to go on a journey, basically, for each individual woman. I'm really aware of the, the fact as well that services are not what I would like them to be. So I basically mm. wanted to try and break down barriers to the clinic room and allow each individual to go on their own journey from childhood through to menopause and beyond. But also with this narrative that actually 
uh, for a lot of us, we're bringing up the next generation if we're parents. Now, it's not just for mothers, Mm. the book. It could be read by anybody. There is a section about pregnancy and postnatal because you can't leave that out of a pelvic health book. But equally, (laughs) you could just not read those chapters if they don't feel relevant to you. The rest of the book would be relevant to you. So there's really a few chapters that you'd want to probably remove, but really a lot of it is still very relevant. But if we're bringing up kids in the next generation, we need to be part of those conversations and we can only do that if we have our own education. So that's essentially the kind of the idea behind it was strong foundations being that we need our own strong foundations. The pelvic floor is a bit like foundations in the body, but also we're paving stronger foundations for the next generation. So that's really what the book's about. And it, what I've tried to weave through the whole thing is the opportunity to reflect to write down your own thoughts and feelings so it's not just like do this do that do this do that and the feedback I've had some people have already read it already I was like that's phenomenal it's only been out for like a week but they're like it's been so easy to read and that's what I wanted I wanted it to feel like me and you having a chat come into clinics Mm, have a chat yeah because it can feel like a bit of a dry topic um it's not just about pelvic floor exercises I would say like I literally I could even write 350 pages on just pelvic floor exercises that would make a terrible book it's so much more than that and I think that's what I'm trying to open up this conversation around not just pelvic floor but pelvic health and that there's so many things that we can do throughout life to help us and what what other kind of things then that might influence someone's pelvic health Mm. before having children if if they have gone have gone through pregnancy birth the kind of things we might yeah totally I mean our bowel function is a huge one so constipation which can start in like one in three children have constipation Mm. so if you think about how many people that is then growing up is a huge one now if we are constipated we're not emptying our bowels easily and we're straining that's a lot of pressure down on our pelvic organs and to on our pelvic floor I would say that has one of the biggest influences on our pelvic health throughout life, but it can commonly start. And I've been having some really interesting conversations this week with people online about children and at school. So all the children's gone back Mm. to school, you know, they feel much more rushed. There's less time, even in the morning, right? You're trying to go on the school run and suddenly your kid needs a poo and you're like, flip, I'm either late for school. You let them listen to their body, right? What do you do? But even at school, there's so much narrative for the kids to be like, oh, you can't go to a poo. It's smelly. Da, 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 da. Now, all these things and people are starting to say like, oh, my, yeah, my son keeps waking up at half five for a poo. It's because he's not going at school. He's mm-hmm. holding. Or even just the toilets aren't particularly nice. nice. My daughter, yeah. for a while, my daughter was like, I don't want to go I to the know. toilet at school. Mommy. And then they're holding on all day. Now, for us to hold on, we're often using our pelvic floor. And that's a real, you know, we can get into these real holding patterns of the pelvic floor. Now, I think this is another really important part of the conversation that we always think about everything is to do with weakness, that you just have a weak pelvic floor. But the pelvic floor muscles can also increase in tone. So they can actually end up being very switched on all the time and actually struggling to let go. Now, that can lead to bladder and bowel dysfunction as much as it can if your pelvic floor is too weak. That can lead to pain with intercourse. So as you can start to see there all of this not relevant to having children but hugely influential to your own pelvic health there's also lots of pelvic health conditions like endometriosis adenomyosis Mm -hmm. which when you live with high levels of pain naturally what the body does is work on protecting now again often we have this hyper sorry increased activity in the pelvic floor with that there's other skin conditions of the vulva that i talk about things like lichen sclerosis lichen planus which some of us are starting to hear about but again these are huge conditions that women are just literally don't know about 
And you don't need loads of information, but you need to know it's even a thing that you might be able to identify. Well, yeah, the, to spot something this early to get the intervention so that it doesn't... Cause a problem. Yeah. But equally, how do we notice what's different if we actually don't even know our anatomy, which is a huge problem for women because we can't see it. And I reflect, I've got mm. two kids, one's a girl and one's a boy, and so obviously they're getting to know their bodies a bit. And you can see with little boys, it's so easy. They know their genitals straight away. They play with them. They can see them. There's kind of like, there's nothing confusing. Yeah, all in the way. There. <laughs> and my daughter's like, oh, I can't see. And I'm like, no, as women, it's really hard to know your body fully because you literally can't see it. Well, and we've been conditioned not to go there. <laughs> as well. So there's these two parts of the picture. So for women, you know, generationally, we've got a lot of unpicking to do. So a lot of the beginning of my book is actually just educating you about basic anatomy, functions of the bladder and bowel. So you even understand how things should work, um, understand your vulva better. You know, I, I don't think it takes ages to do these things. But then if we can do that for ourselves, we can do that for the next generation. I do think that's really important. I think so much of, I guess, the parenting of today is about trying to break some of those shames and those taboos yeah. and those habits. But how can we be expected to do that if we don't know how to do that for ourselves yeah we've got to have the tools to then be able to empower the next generation absolutely you know I think I'm trying to remember the exact statistics but if we're thinking about the impacts of perimenopause menopause a lot of the conditions that kind of come together under that sort of genitourinary symptoms menopause and that's even more of a tongue twister (laughs) (laughs) those are some you know some of those are the ones that can be perhaps the most debilitating but also the ones that are people are least likely to seek out help and treatment for because of that sort of shame and embarrassment and the taboo and just like oh I just can't bear to go and talk to my GP about it absolutely and I was interested in having that conversation just yesterday in clinic with a lady even just understanding the influence of hormones on the urethra the vulva the bowels you know so Mm. even when she was presenting with you know changes in urinary frequency urgency incontinence and I was like now yes, we need to think about your pelvic floor function, but actually we probably need to think about hormones a little bit and whether a vaginal estrogen would be really amazing for you because actually it would give your tissues more of what they need. Now, yeah, that GSM or genital urinary syndrome of the menopause is vast, you know, from recurrent urine infections to urgency and frequency to pain with intercourse, dry vulval tissues. The list is phenomenal that women can be experiencing now you might just experience one you might experience them all I think a really misconception when it comes to the perimenopause menopause time and the pelvic floor is that estrogen is just going to make all your muscles really weak now we don't necessarily think it's necessarily just sudden pelvic floor weakness that causes these bladder symptoms or vaginal symptoms a lot of the time we think it's actually predominantly tissues related so the fact that these estrogen as we've just talked about has impacted the lower estrogen impacts the tissues however alongside that you've also got a process called uh, sarcopenia where our skeletal mm. muscles are changing they are generally weakening so it's that kind of double combo which can then lead to a lot of pelvic floor dysfunction symptoms whether that be incontinence prolapse uh, you know bowel symptoms so 
that's why whenever we treat anyone in that time of life, yes, we need to think about pelvic floor rehabilitation, but we might also want to think a little bit about hormones and what might benefit you. Now, it's not like we all need to go on full-blown HRT, but putting a tiny amount of estrogen cream or a pessary in the vagina can do wonders without those more like systemic hormones if you don't want that. So I always say to him, and I think we hear HRT and we just think no or yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> either way, completely fine. But it's just, I think, women not even understanding that hormones come in different forms, that there's different percentages, that there's different roles. And that is a really important thing for us to understand. Mm. Yeah, I think it's a big educational piece around, um, you know, understanding that you don't necessarily have to have HRT to have the sort of the localised vaginal estrogen. And and, yeah, how low risk that is for people who are worried about the risk profile for HRT because it is just two two completely different things in terms of that risk so yeah yeah, definitely you know worth um, finding out more about that speaking to to your GP about it if um, if that's something that that you're struggling with. The statistics and the research shows that women are like vastly unsupported in the UK and actually when you speak to a lot of urogynecologists they're like why are we not educating better on this it's it's we're storing up trouble for later aren't we (laughs) and it's just like it's so disempowering for a woman you know she's like my vaginal tissues feel dry well that's a huge impact on a lot of things you know they don't they're feeling uncomfortable when they exercise they're feeling bladder symptoms are worse like it's vast the impact these symptoms can have and yet we're not empowering women to be like, oh, there's something I can actually do about this. It's very, very simple. And normalising talking yeah. about it to the extent that, you know, it's you, you don't have that kind of crippling, yes. I'd rather bite my own arm off than oh, go and I talk know. to somebody about <laughs> Like, come on. And the reception, <laughs> the reception that women feel, you know, I was talking to um, someone last week about this, that it's taboo so it's hard to even talk about it but then when you do and you you know you feel like you've put on your big girl pants open the floodgates yeah (laughs) but then the reception is like really negative or you're told that's ridiculous or no yeah we're not going to give that to you there is a lot of hope the training that I guess the next generation of GPs is getting I think is much more women-centered and very much more I guess educated in hormones and stuff like that so I think things will change but it's so demoralizing if you've taken so long to reach out for help and then when you do you don't receive what you should I always say look it's so hard to pick yourself up and go again but try a different DP try someone different Mm -hmm. like we have to advocate for ourselves on these topics like it's not easy yet maybe just take my book and throw it at them you know I don't know well I was gonna say that's that's why the book is so important because if you you know if you do have that sort of as you say that pushback or that meh kind yeah. of response if you can go armed with with the information yes. and and say mm, actually here's some information from a specialist yeah. who says da, da 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 can we please look at this okay. again let's have a conversation and empowering people to to advocate for themselves and get the treatment that they actually absolutely need. i mean i i think the book could be really helpful for gps my husband is a gp and he has read the entire book in the process of me writing it i was like you have to read every chapter That's yeah handy. but it's amazing how he's like wow i've learned so much even though we talk about this stuff all the time like it's just the nature of our mm. lives we talk about work a lot but you know it it, it could help men women 
you know, I think sometimes it's so easy to be like, well, that's a women's issue. <laughs> that's not for me. But in the same way, like Davina McCall's book, The Menopausing Book, you know, she was receiving messages from husbands being like I bought your book so I could understand my wife better and like it's really helped our relationship you know it's like yeah that's that's what this is all about you know I want to understand in the same way I read books about my kids right so I can help them I can understand them better you know Mm. partners read them about your partner so you can help them better it's just really important that this is not a women's issue this is just human and we all need to support each other better so let's let's come back to the the kegels yeah, then <laughs> oh yeah those good old things let's do maybe a bit of uh myth busting yeah. or, or yeah i don't know tell, tell us what what kind of uh if we're going to do the bare minimum yeah. <laughs> what should we I'm be doing the bare minimum. um <laughs> so essentially kegels came from a doctor, his surname was Kegel, and he basically was the sort of first person to come up with exercising the pelvic floor muscles to help with incontinence. But it was very much focused on this squeezing. So if we squeeze those muscles, we exercise them, it will help with incontinence. It was all incontinence focused. Mm. We've sort of moved away from calling them those, even though we can still call it that, because it doesn't recognize, in my opinion, muscle exercise and rehabilitation as, as vast as it needs to be. So Essentially, the pelvic floor muscles are like any other skeletal muscle. What we mean by that is like your bicep, your tricep, your quads, your glutes, right? So we all understand that principle. If we use those muscles, we exercise those muscles, they get stronger. Now, if we were thinking about our bicep, we would never just focus on the squeezing element of a bicep. We'd always think about the squeeze and then we'd feel the let go to keep the arm moving. So that is a first of all step with the pelvic floor. Yes, we want to squeeze, but we also need to fully let go. Because just squeezing and focusing on squeezing of any muscle is not functional. Mm. I always talk about this thing I like to call the pelvic floor puzzle. Now, we often focus so much on strength, which is, yeah, really helpful. But we also need to think about flexibility. We need to think about endurance. So we need those when we need a wee, we need to be able to hold on. We need endurance in the muscle and we Mm. need coordination. So a bit like we need our body to be able to coordinate to pick up a cup. We need all the things to do the right thing at the right time. We need the pelvic floor to kick in at the right time when we cough, sneeze and laugh, when we jump, when we run after the bus, whatever we do, we need there to be the right thing happening at the right time. And that's why pelvic floor exercises are more complex than just do a few squeezes here and there. In Mm. the same way that rehabilitating a muscle, for example, if we're talking about after birth. Now, over 90% of women will have some form of vaginal tearing with their first birth if they have a vaginal delivery, right? Now, some of that might just be to skin tissue, but skin tissue attaches to muscle tissue. And then any other tears involve the pelvic floor. So we are talking about tearing a muscle and then not rehabilitating it properly. So it's a bit like, Mm -hmm. would we ever tear our hamstring and then just be like, well, I'll just leave it six weeks and then I'll get back to my 5k just we would never ever do that to people because the reason why it stops them walking it stops a function of everyday life the thing with the pelvic floor when it comes to incontinence or prolapse symptoms or intercourse they're hidden they don't actually stop us going out they do for some women but for a lot of the time we can put on a pad we can bet mm. grin and bear the symptoms we don't have intercourse we just that doesn't occur in our relationship anymore and we just ignore them yeah it's the same thing, though. Those muscles got torn. They're, yes, they've been repaired, but then they need rehabilitation. And that is what we are, quite frankly, not doing properly. 
giving someone a leaflet about doing a few squeezes here and there in their life is not muscle rehabilitation in the same way that if you tore your hamstring I wouldn't give you here's a leaflet do a couple of exercises good luck it's wrong basically hence why France recognize that and say women need that support and I think that's why I just want to open up the conversation if you've done a few kegels and your symptoms haven't got better there's probably a good reason for that no surprise it's no surprise (laughs) but we're making it the way we communicate with women is it's that simple but it's, mm, it's yeah you're the one that's not doing it enough it. or doing it wrong or it's Let's your add fault. on <laughs> some more shame and blame onto the woman <laughs> even though it's absolutely not her fault that she didn't know she hasn't been given the education and she hasn't been given the support I know it works because I see it in practice but equally I know that I have to often unpick a lot of that shame and blame in order for us and that's again a lot of the message of what I'm trying to do in the book is say none of this is our fault yeah but this is how we mm. start building up the pieces again to make the change in in the book are you do you kind of give people a, a process that they are able to follow independently if they're not able to sort of access a sort of specialist physio themselves? definitely definitely so it builds you know it starts with education on anatomy then it explains about how the pelvic floor work and it talks about that puzzle and what we're aiming for it then gives you practical tips of like let's start with breathing let's how do we connect and then how do we build? So it's a very much a step-by-step guide in those initial chapters just for you to connect with your body better. Then we delve into more different topics that might be relevant now, might be relevant in the future, might be things you didn't even realise. Um, it's It kind of goes into lots of different topics where you can dip in and out. If there's a topic you're really interested in, head to that bit. If you're listening to this podcast and you think, you know what, I, predominantly I'm in that perimenopause, menopause, you know, you might want to read the initial sections and then you might want to head to the final chapters, you know. But actually what I always say to him is probably the chances is that it's all relevant. It's just that we often mm. think, oh, well, I only need that bit. But probably what's happened before is also hugely relevant. And in terms of a sort of a, a baseline sort of maintenance, if you yeah. like, is there a sort of an amount of time every day that ideally, ideally we would be kind of spending yeah. doing something? I don't even know if I think in the long run we have to do it every day because I actually just think sometimes with women we set unrealistic goals and then what happens we just disengage completely so I often say Mm. to women is look ideally when you're getting started on something like trying to drink more water set the habit every day so if you can do your pelvic floor exercises every day even if it's just for two minutes doing something is better than nothing I think then sometimes what I say to women is, look, if you're symptom free, but you just want to take care of your pelvic health, you're trying to be preventative. And the strongest research we have is around prevention. We should definitely Mm. be trying to prevent. You know, even if you think about what does it recommend from an exercise perspective, a little bit of activity every day or trying to do kind of programmed exercise three to four times a week, even if you could just factor that in. But what I really try to make it do is like we need to get you doing it in standing because then you can do it anywhere. You know, you could be cooking the pasta. You're just waiting for a few minutes. Do a few then you've done your teeth do a few then it's a there's there's lots of ways that we can make it very very manageable and day to day but I think alongside the exercises we have to still look at those foundational things of are we taking care of our bowels because do the kegels if you want to do the kegels but also if you're then straining every time you do a poo like counteractive right like you're just then weakening and pushing down on the on the muscles so this is where pelvic health is more than just well if I do some kegels every day for the rest of my life am I done well sadly no because actually if there's other bits going on within our pelvic health whether that's stress related you know stress having an impact on the body or every time we have intercourse Mm. we're tensing up or every time we do a poo we're straining 
those things also influence the muscles so you can kegel till the cow comes home but it, it has to be the whole picture is, and is there anything because a lot of us myself certainly included you know we're sitting oh, down yeah. for a huge amount of the day is there does that have an impact I mean not negatively necessarily but definitely inactivity you know the body like all the muscles love us to be active so there's some research suggesting that actually walking can be quite helpful for people with incontinence obviously not if you're pushing through incontinence when you're walking but actually movement is great so I always say actually my foundations for a lot of the pelvic health is fluid make sure you're drinking well fiber keep those bowels going and move and yes within that movement some pelvic floor exercises would be good but I do think those three foundational things are hugely beneficial to lots of our body, as well as our bowels and pelvic health. One of the things that perhaps is the really, really taboo side of things is, is around prolapse. Yeah. And again, yeah, I, off the top of my head, I don't know what the statistics are, but, you know, a, that have some, some form. form degree. Even before kids. Which, even before kids. Like, which is astounding. Yeah, it's it's and yet, you know, no one, no one's no really tending it. to own up yeah. about it. If they or women you know. don't even know it's a thing, they're like, "Oh, a prolapse disc in my back." I'm like, "No, no, <laughs> lots of things can prolapse," and it's a really tricky one because either we put like the fear of God in women, and they're like terrified, or there's a. Mm. I think there's a fine line between education and awareness, and then scaremongering. And I don't think we've always got that right. If I'm completely honest, but we do need to educate women because there's nothing more scary than seeing something has changed in your body and thinking I don't know what that is that's Mm. scary so if somebody was to sort of think that that might be going on for them what presumably the first port of call would be to to see a GP and see if they can get a referral to definitely it would always be through your GP first on the NHS anyway I can't always guarantee that that is going to be a receptive the most helpful consultation because I do think education is still not there for some but I would go in there armed knowing that you know that pelvic health physiotherapy guided pelvic floor work is first line treatments so if you're suspecting something you know go in there and say look I'm worried about this could you assess to see if it's there and if so I understand that this is first line treatment is there a way that we could be referred because I think sometimes as women we need to go there with not not telling them what to do but actually having spoke to a number of GPs, they're like, it's actually really helpful when we understand what a woman is looking for or expecting or concerned about really clearly. Because the more we hear that, the more we can then do to support, basically. Mm. And what's the sort of the the success rate for, obviously, you know, there are different degrees and different yeah. types of prolapse, yeah. but if it's a sort of a minor one, is it very treatable? Yeah, with... so our strongest kind of research is around supporting those who have a more mild to moderate prolapse. Um, now, mm. I think, again, it's expectations of, are we removing the prolapse? Are we putting everything back where it was? Not necessarily. But are we changing your symptoms and your life and your quality of life and being mm. able to exercise and have intercourse without fear and your bowels being fine? Yes. So that's what I always say to them. But most women don't actually care if one of their vaginal walls is a bit more stretched. Like, they're like, that's fine. I'm not looking there. No one's looking there. That's not a problem. What they're worried about is, does that mean I can't do X, Y, and Z? So as physios, mm. that's what we're focused on. We're focused on improving your function and your overall day-to-day life. It might mean that there are still structural changes in the vagina. But then if we look at that research study that says that's present in 50% of women who don't have children, there's an element of that we have to normalise that there will be vaginal wall changes through life. So it's not just childbirth that has the impact, though it's one risk factor. There are lots of others as well. Hence why, again, bowel care is so important because 
straining is a huge risk factor for prolapse. But if we're not educating that and we're allowing our children to become become constipated and get into habits of straining or not going, that paves the way for what's ahead. Mm. And so this is what often happens is women end up being diagnosed with a prolapse postpartum. But I'm like, did we actually think about the 20 years that probably came, 20, 30 years that came before today? when this diagnosis came, it might have just been that birth, a bit like sometimes how menopause can be presented as the straw that broke the camel's back. Now, often we're like, oh, my menopause caused my prolapse. I'm like, the chances are it was probably already there, but the estrogen and the hormones were fine. You weren't aware of it. Then the hormones declined and your symptoms increased. That's the difference. So again, it's just understanding all of that to be like, okay, we don't need to blame menopause. We don't need to blame birth, but we need to understand them in the context of the bigger picture. And also why it's so important to kind of understand your, you know, what's normal for you. What's, totally. You know, what's your anatomy? <laughs> yeah. And then and then being, uh, I guess, just more attuned to, to when something's changed yes. different, yes. you know, it doesn't feel right. Totally. But yeah, the only way we can do that is is by arming ourselves with information and education so hopefully that's maybe a good point to pause and um and say that i'll put a link to uh in the show notes to where people can find both the book and you both on social media and on the website to find out more i think it is to uh not belabor the point but it it is foundational yeah if uh, it's just one of those really important things isn't it for that kind of you know, we are going to be living maybe a third of our lives yeah. post-menopause. I don't really want to be wearing adult no. diapers. I'm afraid to say, you know, um, I have a parent and they're in yeah. that position now and it is not it's not a fun place no. to be. And um, I talk about in the final chapters around the link between like that and then bone fractures and then mortality and morbidity. Like these mm. things are so connected pelvic health is really foundational in these conversations that we're not having and yeah let's be different like let's make a change please yeah definitely go out buy claire's book it's brilliant thank you so much for your time and uh, yeah it was lovely chatting to you thank you you've been listening to the middling along podcast do remember to subscribe to be notified when our next episode is live and why not visit the blog at www.middlingalong.com sign up to my newsletter as well i do hope you enjoyed listening today if you did i'd be really grateful if you would consider leaving a short review as that helps people find the podcast and helps get it noticed hope you can join us next time goodbye for now